All right, would you join me in Romans chapter 10 this morning? Romans chapter 10, I will tell you that um, when we began Romans 10, I really thought we would be three weeks in that. And we have been three weeks in Romans. I think we did verses 1 through 4 as a message. Then we did verses 4 through 13 as a message. Always a little bit of overlap. And then last week we did verses 13 to 21. And I wouldn't expect you to know what I'm about to say. But can I just kind of throw out, if you've been with us for quite a while and you kind of see the style of preaching and teaching that's done in here on Sunday morning, if you come to Wednesday night, you can tell there's a difference. Um, what we do in here on Sunday morning as we're going through a book of the Bible is called expositional preaching and teaching. And generally, every now and then we'll pull a thought, but more times than not we take a paragraph of Scripture, uh, and you can kind of see the paragraph breaks, at least my Bible has those broken down. And really, even if they weren't there, you would kind of feel like, well, it kind of starts, this is a new section. And so what we do each week is we go through that section and we're trying to get uh, maybe not even if we, we may not have time for every word, but we go through it and we stay there pretty much the whole service. We may hop over here to another passage and over here to another passage, but ultimately it's all tying back to this one passage as we're trying to find the main ideas and the supporting ideas under those main ideas. Here's why I said that. Last week, we did the exposition of Romans 10, 13 to 21. But Wednesday night, we had to return there. And those of you that were there Wednesday night, very different. Uh, it was more of a discussion. I really enjoyed it. I got several good comments from that. Probably because you didn't have to listen to me all the time. You guys got to talk too. Uh, but I can't leave it yet. So today is going to be different. I promise you, if you've been here for a year or six months or three months, you will sense it's different. One of the first things you'll notice is we're starting in Romans 10, but we won't really stay there. There's going to be lots of Scripture. So if you have a Bible, if you've got one on your phone or tablet or as, like me, I'm more paper and less plastic uh, the way I use it. But I do have it on my phone. I pull that out every now and then. Uh, I want to invite you to follow along as much as possible, and hopefully each of the verses will be on the screen. Before we read verses 13 to 17, I do want to take just a moment to recap last week because this is the introduction from last week is the introduction for this week. If you'll remember, if you were here, we had seven points last week and I'm going to return there and we're going to spring from that into why we have to return to this more topical message today. Here were the seven points from last week. Number one, and by the way, I want you to taste these there's some, there's some exclusive words in here. Number one, all people, it won't be on your handout, you'll see it on the screen. All people know of God and reject Him. I do not have time to biblically defend all of these. We did last week and we did again Wednesday night. If you say, I just don't believe some of these points, contact me. I'll try to send you some verses why we believe these are true from the Bible. Let that sink in. All people know of God. I'm not telling you all people know God. All people all around the world. You say not everywhere in the world has the Bible. We're going to get to that. All people know of God because they're born. It's wired in them to believe in a God. And they have creation and they have a conscience. But they reject God. 
And that presents a huge problem. Number two gets more specific. All people are guilty of sin. All people. This presents a huge problem. All people all around the world guilty of sin. Number three. This is good news, but there's a caveat. There's a catch. You've got to catch it here. Salvation. Oh, salvation is available because God's going to punish our sin. That is true. But salvation is available, watch, only by faith. Salvation only by faith, but the faith has to be in Christ. That's extremely important. I will tell you right now. You say, I don't believe what you just said. Study the Bible. I'll send you the verses. Believing in God will not save anyone. Seeing creation and acknowledging someone made all of this, I believe there's a God. That will not get you to heaven. Everyone starts there. Some choose or are deceived to believe there is no God. That will not get you to heaven. It is only by faith, specifically in Christ, get it, working for it, being good, listen to me, stopping being bad and putting in some good habits and doing some nice things and getting real religious will not get you to heaven. Salvation is only by faith. Literally, you don't even move. Only by faith, and it has to be faith in Christ. Number four, we'll see this in the text in a moment. Faith only comes by hearing. You have to have faith. But the only way to get faith is by hearing about Christ. You'll see that in the text. And if you know what's going on in the world, the world dynamic, you say, well, that's a huge problem because, number five, many people have never heard of Christ. Many people have never heard the gospel. Absolutely, that presents a huge problem. That's why we have to revisit this text. And because many people have never heard, that led us to the sixth thing, which we'll return today. God commands the church to make the gospel. The gospel is the good news about Christ, that if you'll put your faith in Christ, you can be saved from your sin and your rejection. And then all of that, and then really to finish out the outline, we're not going here this week. We'll probably start in this next week because it's the context of the real interpretation of this passage that Paul writes in Romans 10 is the, the seventh fact. Many people do hear the gospel and still reject. So notice number five. Many people don't hear the gospel. They've never read a Bible. They've never seen a Bible. Or maybe they've seen it over on a, on a desk in a coffee shop in Asia or somewhere in a city in Africa. And maybe they even hear someone talking over there, but they never stop and really hear what's going on. They've never heard. So again, you can see these seven truths strung together and why that leads to that sixth point. Would you look with me this morning, verse 13. Romans 10, 13. For, and we're jumping in obviously because of that word for, we're jumping in a flow of a paragraph. This is ending a paragraph, a conclusion statement. For everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone... Who does that? Not everyone does it, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen carefully. Before we move on, listen carefully. If you are in here today or listening to this later by recording and you are not yet a Christian, if you have not yet called on the name of the Lord, what the Bible says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we hear that and say, well, then everybody should just call on the name of Jesus because the verses before that make clear Jesus is the one that is meant by the Lord. Everyone should just call on the Lord. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. If you're not yet a Christian, do not just call on the name of the Lord. Do not do that. 
You say, why in the world would you tell us that? Because you may just say, what do we have to do? Okay, Lord Jesus. There, I did it. Or, Jesus, save me. Don't do that. Do not just call on the Lord. Because you may walk away thinking because you said a little prayer by yourself or with someone that you're now on your way to heaven. So I'm here to tell you, do not do that and give yourself some false assurance. But let me finish. Only call when you believe. Verse 13 is God's word Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a, that is a conclusion statement. What, study the text before it. Go back and read the verses. What it means is everyone who calls in faith. So I'm telling you, if you don't have faith, don't do it. Don't play religion. Don't fool yourself. But when you believe, when you read that, and faith in you says, this is God saying everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then call and he will save you. I promise you. But don't do it till you believe. Now, our text. How then, verse 14, how then will they call on him, Christ the Lord, in whom they have not believed? Here's the logic. People are not going to call if they don't believe. They may say a phrase or a word, but they don't really mean it. They're not going to really call if they don't believe. Next, verse 14 continues. How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard. The of him of whom they've never heard. Literally what that means is, not only haven't heard of Christ, how can I believe in Jesus? What does that mean? Jesus, what does that mean? They will not believe or call in Jesus unless they've heard of him, about him, from him really. I've got to hear from you for, for me to know that this promise is true. About him, of him, from him. How will they do that if they've never heard? You say, wait a minute, that fifth thing that you just put up there a while ago gives a huge problem. Oh, it does. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Preaching just means someone's got to tell them the gospel, the good news about Christ and salvation. Verse 15. How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You say, well, many people have heard the gospel. We talked about that last week, verse 16. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. Isaiah, one of the Old Testament prophets, he was preaching truth, but notice what he says in his prophecy. He says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? In essence, translation, God, they're not believing. I'm telling them they're not believing. I'm telling them about this Messiah and all that he has to go through, and they're just rejecting it. Verse 17, concluding our our text here. So faith. You say, right, a while ago you said we have to have faith. Salvation is only by faith and it has to be in Christ. So faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. The only way to get faith is by believing in Christ. If you have a handout and you want to follow along this morning, you want to write this down. What happens to these people who never hear about Jesus? I'll tell you. If someone never hears about Jesus, they cannot cannot believe in him you say well what will happen to them we talked about it Wednesday night I'm not saying we liked it but the fact is biblically they will die just like everyone else dies and they will die in their sin and the Bible says they literally will go to hell that's what the Bible teaches that 
fourth thing, that third thing we put up there earlier, guys, literally there's nowhere in the Bible that it, in the New Testament that talks about another way of, of salvation. There is not one. It is only by faith in Christ. But we have over a billion people who've never heard about Jesus. By the way, some people right here in Anderson have never heard. I know they may have heard the words Jesus. They've never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. So what does that mean for us this morning? Two main points. Two main points. Each of the main points this morning have some sub-ideas underneath them. Here's the first one. You ready? Faith by hearing. What I mean there is since faith is needed for salvation and since faith only comes by hearing, faith by hearing demands evangelism. Faith by hearing, since it's only by hearing, people have to hear about Christ before they'll believe in Christ. They have to believe in Christ before they really call out to Christ. They have to call out to Christ in their soul and spirit, not externally with a tongue and vocal cords, but in their soul and spirit. They have to call to be saved. They can't do it without hearing. Faith only comes by hearing. Here's what that demands, evangelism. You may be here this morning and say, what in the world is evangelism? Evangelism is just literally us, the church, the people who know the truth of the Word of God, people who've been saved by grace. All I did was believe in Christ. I believe that His death on the cross paid for all my sins. It was enough. I put my trust in Him. Many people have never heard that. We take our message to them. That is evangelism. If you have your Bible and want to follow along, Look at Matthew chapter 28. I want to show you these in Scripture. Matthew chapter 28. Faith by hearing demands evangelism. Matthew 28. Geographically, I'll just tell you, I'm doing this for a reason because these three texts we're going to use are spread out. This one is Jesus teaching his disciples in Galilee. Verse 18, very famous passage. Matthew 28, 18, as as Matthew closes out his gospel's version of the life of Christ on earth. Verse 18. And Jesus came. This this is an amazing three verses. We could spend all the message here, but we can't. Jesus came and said to them, his followers, after he's resurrected, this is before he's gone back to heaven. Watch what he says. All authority in heaven. Let that sink in. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus says, I call the shots in heaven. I call the shots on earth. It's all been given to me. Go, therefore. That's like the main command. Go, therefore. And he breaks that down further. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Listen here. Being baptized in the name of Jesus and the Spirit in the name of the Father is always a difficult thing because it's tough. You know, we got we got to overcome our pride and we got to go public and we're not going to be a secret saint. But look, can I say it this way? In that day and in many places around the world today, it can and might cost you your life. And so Jesus says, I have all authority on, in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, he's telling his people, go, make disciples, baptize them. After they get saved, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Watch verse 20. Teaching them, the work's not done, teaching, watch this, them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Verse 20 again. I don't know if I read it correctly in this translation. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I'm going to play on that again in a minute. It's important. Teach them, these others, these second generation, these 1,000th generation of believers. Teach them to observe what I commanded you. And he gives us this assurance. Behold, I am with you always 
to the end of the age. Go, if you would, the end of Luke. Luke chapter 24, I believe it is. Yes, Luke 24, verse number 46. This time Jesus is in Jerusalem. He keeps talking about this same theme. That was Galilee up north in Israel. Now this is down in the southern city of Jerusalem. That time the capital city, verse 45. Then he opened their minds, his followers. What a great thing that happened here. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Until then they didn't really understand what we call the Old Testament. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written. So he's piecing it all together. He's going through the Bible. He's talking about how it talks about him. Here it comes. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer. Watch this. He didn't teach them the possibility. Are you saying the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one from God could suffer? He's saying no. He had to suffer. He had to. You're not looking for a Messiah that might suffer, and that's why the Jews rejected him. They're not looking for a suffering Savior. The Jews are looking for this Savior that's going to conquer the world and make them the number one nation in the world and and lift them up. Christ came first to suffer. He says, thus it is written. He opens the Scriptures. The Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And he also taught this, that repentance, changing your mind about him and about your sin and about the way to get to heaven... Verse 47, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. One more, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Very familiar passage, but here's what Jesus says. This time, he's just outside of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives, right before he's ascended. Notice what he says to his, his followers. You will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So Holy Spirit's coming in a unique way, promised from God. Here's what he says. My followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And everyone who studies Acts knows that that ends up being the outline of the book of Acts. How the gospel goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, eventually to the uttermost parts of the earth in the kind of people that it reaches. Do you see those three passages? Catch what I'm about to say. Do you know there are Christians who honestly, honestly view the call, can I say, the command to evangelism. Here's how they view it. Yep, that was to the original apostles. That was to them. Translation, that's not meant for me. I am not called, I am not commanded. Or they will go, if they know their Bible a little bit better than that, they'll do this. Here's what they'll say. Those are for the original apostles, and then it's for those who have a gift of evangelism. Can I tell you something? Biblically speaking, there is a gift of evangelism, and some just have a gift in it. God gave them a gift, and they, are, they do evangelism, and people respond. They're just a little better at it than the rest of us. Some of you may have that. But here's what these people think. No, no, it's for them. And it is for them. It's for those two groups, but it's not for me. Because here's the thinking. That's not my calling. I'm an electrician. I'm a plumber. I'm a mover. I'm a doctor. I'm an accountant. I'm an, I'm an uh, administrative assistant. 
My gift is in serving or exhorting or more teaching. Or my gift is in giving or leading and administration. My gift is not in evangelism. And so those verses are not for me. My job is to do these things well. And those people are to do that where I've literally have heard of that. Is that biblical? If that is someone's view, here's what I would say. We would have to agree, number one... The original apostles failed at the mission because the gospel did not make it to China and Japan. They say Thomas, one of the twelve, made it to India, but it didn't go deep into Africa, and it sure never made its way to North and South America. So we'd have to say they failed, and we'd also have to do this. Look at Acts 1.8, because I I notice this happens. They claim Acts 1.8a and reject 1.8b. Here's the thinking. Yes, I've received power. The Holy Spirit's come upon me and he helps me serve the church in my spiritual gift area and he helps me get victory over sin and grow my relationship with the Lord. So they claim one, hey, yes, the Holy Spirit is in me and he's come in me and he's made me strong. And just totally skipping by the reason he's made us strong is to be witnesses. Go with me if you would, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I'll spend just a moment here. We were here few weeks ago with our new members class, and you guys should remember us talking about this. It's a very important passage. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to skip a lot of the stuff and try to boil it down. The first verses of chapter 4, if you were to look at it, you would hear the Bible calling for us to maintain unity. You would hear how we are one body, how there's one spirit, one hope. Keep listening to these words. One Lord, only one Lord. There's only one faith. There's only one baptism, only one God. But then he says, there's grace, these gifts from God, the grace to each one of us. And it goes on and talks how Jesus, because... People thought he was losing the battle on the cross when actually he was winning the victory. And because he won the victory, he has the right to give gifts to his people, various kinds of gifts. And then Paul, as he's writing to the Ephesians, gives us a sample of those gifts. Verse 11. I want you to follow closely verse 11 to 14. Talking about gifts, abilities. These abilities lead to offices in this case, but not everyone has an office to go with their ability, their spiritual enablement, but watch verse 11. And he gave the apostles. So some are apostles, direct followers, those directly taught by Christ, those who know that he, they saw his, him after his resurrection. He gave the apostles. He gave the prophets. The evangelists. Oh, yeah, there's that group. They do have a gift in taking the message of the gospel. And people get saved under their ministry. Praise the Lord. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, literally meaning the pastor shepherds and teachers. Why? Verse 12 to 14. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal, that we all make our way to the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children, not little baby Christians. You say, what is a baby Christian like? Tossed to and fro by the waves. Life hits. Boom, they get knocked down. And they really struggle with things that maybe they shouldn't be struggling with. Only been saved 14 years. (laughs) Normal things of life hit them, and they're just like, oh, I'm being singled out. Life's terrible. Now, that's normal. 
No, you don't understand. This is happening. Yeah, many people. Why are you being cast out? Because they're still babes in Christ. Because the body's not ministering to itself correctly. Watch what he says again, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and, here's another sign of children, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Everybody that comes along. Well, that sounds good. That's pretty convincing. That guy's a good talker. My wife was watching a guy the other day on television. I'm not even going to say his last name was Morris. But anyway, he was, uh, he was teaching along and it was heresy. It was just straight up heresy. And, and she was commenting, but, but look how normal. He's not like fanatic. I'm like, no, he's like, like a wild man. Oh, yeah, that's easy to spot. No, he's just very measured, very convincing. The only problem with was what he was saying was not doctrinally true. So again, verse 14. So that we're not tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Back up to verse 11 and 12. I'm going to hit this quick. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to... Do y'all know that in the Middle Ages there was a comma that was put in the text? And I'll show you where it was put. It's not in there now, praise the Lord. Here's where the comma went. He gave us these people in verse 11 to equip the saints, comma, for the work of ministry, comma, for building up the body of Christ. If you put that comma after the word saints, here's the way it reads. God gives the church these kind of people that fill these offices and their job is to do three things. Their job is to equip the saints, to do the work of the ministry, and build up the body of Christ. But if you remove the comma, here's what the Bible actually says. God gives these people, these offices, to equip these saints. And by the way, the New Testament says anyone who is a believer in Christ, all people are saints. Please don't think, oh yeah, the really godly holy people, they're saints. No, if you are a believer in Christ, you're a saint. So verse 12 to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that the saints do the work of the ministry and the result is the body of Christ is built up. Not on the screen, but down in verse 16. The Bible says, from whom Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which is, which, uh, by which it is equipped when each part is working properly. So it's not like, yeah, we pay them to do the work of the ministry. We come sit and listen and maybe drop some money in the offering plate. Wrong view of Christianity. Would you write this down? Scripture authoritatively declares that the work of ministry is for all Christians. And that would obviously include evangelism. It is not just for the professionals. Yeah, the professionals, they're the ones that go out and win people to Christ. Wrong. We looked at this last week, but another quick supporting verse here is verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5. Watch this. All this, please watch it, let it sink in. Here's God's word. All this, and what this is, is what we sang about a little bit earlier, how old things are being passed away. We're new creatures. God is changing his people from the inside. Why is God changing us? All this is from God. Now notice again, we talked about this before. God, who through Christ, so if we have God at the top, Christ below God in this particular verse. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us. So we're at the bottom down here. We're at war with God because of our sin. He must punish our sin. But all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, brought us at peace and harmony back with him. How? By Christ, through Christ. But it doesn't stop. And gave us. 
the ministry of reconciliation. God reconciles us to himself through Christ, and then he says, I'm giving you the ministry of reconciliation, verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Christian, you've been entrusted with a message of reconciliation so that Paul says, therefore we are ambassadors. Ambassadors are in a foreign land conducting business for the homeland. We, our true citizenship is in heaven, but we're still here on earth conducting business for God, for the kingdom. We're ambassadors for Christ. And I made a special note of this last week. God making his appeal. It is literally God who's talking through us. And so what happens? We implore you on behalf of Christ. I even put this in quotes in my Bible. Be reconciled to God. We don't just tell people what would happen if you put your faith in Christ. We ask them, won't you put your faith in Christ? Second Corinthians 5, Ephesians 4 indicates that the entire church is to be the pillar and the buttress of truth, proclaiming as ambassadors the gospel for Christ. That's our job. All of us are to do that. And so real quick, I want to give you three things. What does this first point call for? Number one, evangelism calls for preparing to share gospel truth. Since faith comes by hearing, that calls for evangelism. We have to take the message out. Evangelism involves preparing to share gospel truth. Guys, I don't want to offend anybody. But can I shoot straight with you for a moment? I find it strange that from childhood we train and practice. What? How to read. We even have these things called schools, and we make the kids go to them, even when they don't want to. Why? You need to train and learn and practice how to read, how to write, how to calculate. And as society develops and culture grows, how to do more and more things. Because you're going to need that. We, from our childhood, train and practice and really work at how to play a sport. You're looking at someone who coached, I think, 17 years, either as an assistant or as a head coach. How to play an instrument. How to perform a dance. And eventually in our teenage years in college and early 20s, how to perform work in a career field. Why? You say, Jeff, all of those things. Okay, the sports. But some people say there's so many good lessons to learn in sports. These are important things. We need to learn how to do these. But here's what I find strange. Somehow we've made it acceptable to emphasize getting salvation and assurance, it's not enough. we don't want them just to be saved. We want them to know they're saved so they have a good Christian life, a peaceful Christian life, life more abundant. We don't want them miser- miserable and wandering. So let's get them salvation and assurance of salvation early in life. We emphasize that. Praise the Lord when that happens. But we get this idea that the rest of the Christian life is basically with one goal in mind, and that's becoming more holy. Listen. Got to get them saved early and get them some assurance. And then now my job is, now that I'm saved and I know I'm saved, it's to listen to lessons and sermons so I can become more and more and more and more godly and holy. I'm telling you, if that's all there was to it, then why doesn't God just take us on to heaven? Because you will become much more holy in an instant when you die than you ever will be here. There's another reason. 
Statistics tell us that most Christians, in fact, most of you were saved before age 19. Most of you were saved 18 or younger. Why have you raised your hands? I certainly was. But those same statistics tell us that most Christians, you, most of you, will die without ever leading even one person to Christ. Where are you at? Not even one person, not taking one person. You got saved, and you know you're saved, and you're working on your holiness, but you have never led anyone to Christ, and one of the reasons is you have not been preparing. Have something here. If someone were to say, Jeff, if I were to actually walk away today, and I really want to start preparing to take gospel truth, what would you suggest to me? I would suggest to you this book. And I can't buy everyone one of these, But I can tell you how to get in in touch with this. It's a man named Jeff Musgrave. It's called Giving the Exchange. You say, I want to become one who shares the gospel. I don't know if they'll get saved or not, but I want to be one that shares the gospel. Get this. Make it a point. You've studied, learned how to read and write, and how to play a sport, and how to play an instrument, and how to dance, and how to do a job. But somehow this, uh, that's optional. I guess I'll just be one of those Christians who doesn't win anybody. I promise when you get there, you'll regret that. You will wish you had taken people with you. Number two... Evangelism involves prayer. Never underestimate prayer. Prayer for specific requests. Specific requests. I want to give you three of those specific requests. If I'm going to be evangelistic, I need to be praying. God, would you please save specific souls? Guys, don't just launch out. I'm going to be evangelistic. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. Precede that with prayer. And so I ask you to answer within yourself, who have you been praying for by name to God to be saved. Second thing, would you join me in Luke chapter 10? Luke chapter 10. I'm going to flip over there myself. Luke chapter 10. What's another specific request? I can't linger here. I'm just going to hit it. Luke 10 verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. He sends out, you guys go. I'm coming into these towns. You guys go. Verse 2. And he said to them, this is important, the harvest is plentiful. If you were here in Romans 9 and you're very disturbed and, and maybe upset and confused and you say, it sounds like only certain people will get saved and it's the elect, the chosen. Can I tell you guys something? What he's saying here in verse 2, this is Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. He's not, only, he's not saying there's plenty of people who need to be saved. Get this. He's saying there are many people who will be saved. Don't you worry so much about Romans 9. That's God's business. You get out there and do Romans 10 because they are going. There's many. It is plentiful. Here's the problem. Harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Because it's acceptable to get saved and get assurance and get holy. Therefore, he tells them, therefore, pray. Why don't we do this? Pray for specific souls. Pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out labors. I literally have been praying. God, send some labors into the harvest as a result of today's message. Pray earnestly. Lord, would you please send labors? We know there's many and they are going to get saved. So please send us. And in verse 3, you know what he says? Go your way. Now go. Pray. Now go. Pray God send labors. And by the way, you are the laborers. Go. Acts 4. Flip over there. Acts 4. What's the next thing we should pray for? Boldness to speak. 
Pray for specific souls. Pray that God would send laborers, guys. Please don't let this just be words you write on a piece of paper and a verse or a few verses that you look at on the screen. Honestly, what if we did this? Lord, I'm going to pray for boldness to speak. Peter and John were just threatened by the Sanhedrin. They better never preach in the name of Jesus again. So what happens? Acts 4, verse 23. Verse 23, when they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. Hey guys, guess what? Man, they're threatening us. Here's what's going on. And when they heard it, the friends, Christian friends, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, so here's their prayer. Watch this prayer. Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and now they're going to quote, in essence, Psalm 2. Lord, you're the one. You're sovereign. You know all that's been going on. You've seen all of this. Psalm 2, here's what it's about. Why did the Gentiles rage and the, people plot, uh, people, the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. Lord, you're the one that predicted that they would do this. Verse 27, for truly, now they're, they're backing out of Psalm 2 and they're recognizing it came true. For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, whom you anointed, both Herod, a king, and Pontius Pilate, a governor, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatsoever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God, you saw the whole thing, how they were contriving against your son. Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word. God, grant to us to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. Skip down to verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I find it amazing. Talking about me. I talked to a total stranger about the weather, politics, current events, and sports, especially if they're wearing the color I like. Hey, I see your hat. Hey, let's go heels. How about the game? Or, man, how about that game? But we can talk. But there is something about, Jeff, I'm just, I don't like to bring that up. Pray for boldness. The third thing here, not only to prepare and to pray, but third one, is intentionally engage in gospel conversations. I showed you this earlier. One of the things that Jeff Musgrave offers to us are questions. I dare you, I I didn't have space to put them in your handout. I dare you to ask people these questions. You say, I can't remember them. Get with me. I'll run you a copy of this page of the notes. Three questions. He calls them diagnostic questions. You're like, how do you start gospel conversations? What if you ask someone this? Hey man, listen. We're talking about that. Let me ask you this. How would you describe your relationship with God? That's a great question. So how would you describe your relationship with God? Oh, it's good. Don't settle for that. Yeah, right, okay, it's good. What's it like? Second one. This is a biggie. What do you think it takes to have a relationship with God and live with Him forever in heaven? What do you think it takes And then be quiet. Let them answer. They will tell you what they're trusting. And when they've said their answer, so what do you think it takes to have a relationship? Well, I think you got to do this and this and this. And And when you think they're done, ask them this, anything else? And let them answer and say, anything else? 
And as you're listening, you will be shocked how many people in Anderson are giving some wacko things that are not in the Scriptures. And of course, that leads to this third question. Are you 100% sure that your sins are forgiven and that you are on your way to heaven? Number two. Not only does faith by hearing demand evangelism, faith by hearing demands missions. Faith by hearing demands missions. Two thoughts on this. Number one, what are Bible reasons for missions? What are some Bible reasons for missions? Dr. E. Myers Harrison is going to offer to us four reasons. Very simple. Very biblical. Why do we need to be about missions? Number one, the, co- the command from above. Notice Mark 16, verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. If you're sitting there and read that and say, yeah, I just don't know that if that's my calling. Hey, we don't have to wait on a calling. We already have a command. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. For the next one, I want you to actually follow me. It's a little bit bigger text. Luke 16. Would you go there? E. Myers Harrison is going to offer to us a second reason. And it's the cry from beneath. So there's this command from above. There's this cry from beneath. We're going to jump in the middle of a text. I'll tell you what's happening. There's a rich man. And I mean he's rich. He has the best of clothes. He eats the best food. Man, he has a great life on earth. There's a poor man. His name is Lazarus. He has like no food. He's sick. He's laid at the end of that guy's driveway hoping he can just get the leftovers, the crumbs from his his table. And, And in fact, he's sick and the dogs lick his sores. Verse 22, the Bible says, The poor man, Lazarus, died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Literally, to where Abraham was being kept until Christ paid for sins. And then Abraham would be allowed to go into the very present, the permanent presence of the Lord, what we would call heaven. So here it's called Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom, paradise, if you will. Verse 22, the poor man died. He's carried by the angels to Abraham's side. But the rich man also died and was buried. And it implied there was a big funeral and a big to-do because he was really important. And in Hades, hell... Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Somehow, someway, this man in Hades in hell who's who's over here, he can see Abraham and he's having this conversation. He recognized who it is. He calls out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Notice, his number one concern is his own torment. Please send him to do something about it. Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he's comforted here, you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm has been fixed. In order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able. And none may cross from there to us. And he said, here's back to the rich man. Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. 
For I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come to this place of torment. Guys, there's a cry from beneath. You say, why missions? Because I, I'm not talking about that man. That man there, he knows no one that's alive today. He knows no one that's alive anywhere on earth today. He does not know them. He may know that he has great, 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 grandchildren, but he doesn't know them. I'm talking people who are in hell today, who are newly there, and they still know people on earth. I'll guarantee you they're people, if they had 30 seconds to come in here, they would grab one of us and say, please, tell my loved one. You work with them. You play golf with them. You play cards with them. They live right next door to you. Please tell them so they don't come to here where I am. Please. The third, there's this call from without. There's a call from without. Acts 16, 19. Paul receives a vision. The Bible says a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, this is a Greek, was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Literally, here's what happens. Paul is working his way through Turkey. And he's headed toward Greece, but he has no plans to go there. He wants to go up here to minister, but the Holy Spirit says, no, don't go there. So I'm going to go down here to these cities and minister. The Holy Spirit says, no, don't go there. And they just keep moving forward. Finally, they come to a sea, and it's like, where do we go? We've covered Asia Minor, what we call Turkey. And in the night, he receives a vision of someone, in essence, representing the Greek people, the Europeans, saying, come on over here and help us. We've never heard about Jesus. Guys, I wonder how many people around the world today would tell us, we don't know what's taking so long. Get here to us. The fourth reason is the constraint from within. You see the text. I'm not going to take time to read it, but notice the first six words. Seven words. For the love of Christ controls us. 2 Corinthians 5.14. The love of Christ controls us. You say, Jeff, why should we be about the mission of, of, of missions? Because there's a command, not just a call, a command from above. There's a cry from beneath. Go tell my loved ones. There's a call from without. People who haven't yet heard saying in essence, come, help us. And then there's this internal thing where God's Holy Spirit, the love of Christ in us says, go because I love them. I love them. I make you love them. I in you make you love them. Go if you would. You're in Luke. Acts chapter 18. Acts 18. We were in 16 a while ago. Acts 18. Acts 18. Verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. Where is Paul? Paul's in the city of Corinth in Greece. God appears to him, the Lord says, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. 
Wednesday night, I told our group, I said, guys, I want to challenge you. If you were to read Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 10, here's what you would find. You would find two men who do not know Christ yet, but God goes to great lengths to connect His people to the people who will become His people. In Acts chapter 8, there's an Ethiopian. And he's been exposed to Judaism, but he's never yet heard all the details, or it hasn't really sunk in. This is astounding. There's a follower of Christ, a disciple who's also an evangelist, who has a gift. He's ministering up north of Jerusalem in this area called Samaria, where there's half Jews who are half Jew, half Gentile. And people are getting saved, and the Holy Spirit pulls Philip from a successful revival and says, I want you to go 60 miles down here to a desert place near Gaza, because I have one man that I want you to win for Christ. Here's my point. God will go to great lengths to get his people connected with those who are going to become his people. Acts chapter 10, there's this man Cornelius. He's confused. He's heard a little bit about Jesus, but he's mostly heard about about Judaism. And he's not yet on board with Judaism, but he's praying. We don't know the exact contents, but he's praying to God. And God sends an angel that says, your prayers have been heard. Here's what you need to do. Send servants of yours 33 miles down the road to a town called Joppa and you're going to look for a man named Peter. He lives on certain street and when you turn down that certain street, look for a man named Simon. He works with skins of animals. He's a tanner. And ask for a man named Peter and tell him he's supposed to come back and tell your boss man, Cornelius, some things. And so God sends these angels. Literally, Cornelius sends his three servants. They go down and, long story... Peter finally comes down off the roof where he was praying. And in essence, they tell Peter, this is going to sound crazy. Uh, I know you don't know who we are. Our master is a Roman. Sorry, he's a Roman soldier. I know you all hate Romans, but he's a Roman soldier. And like your God has told him to send for you. And you're supposed to come up there and tell him. And Peter's answer is, uh, in essence, reading between the lines, yeah, I know. I know. Because God's Holy Spirit's told me I'm supposed to go with you guys. And he goes 33 miles away and he shares the gospel and Cornelius' family gets saved. And he, in essence, is the first Gentile who gets saved. Would you write this down? Many of God's people are currently in unreached places. Many of God's people are currently in unreached places and are not yet saved. But they will be when he sends his people to them. Paul, don't leave Corinth. Apparently something in Paul is ready to leave. He's ready to stop. Paul, don't leave Corinth. I have much people in this city. Guys, here's what I want to tell you. There are people of God who are not yet saved, who are in unreached places today. But they've never heard about Christ. But when they do hear about Christ, they will believe. And they're going to be powerful beings throughout eternity. Time will not allow me to... I don't know if y'all are noticing. My eyes are dancing. My mind's battling. Do I finish this message? And I rush. And I'm like, "Ah, I still have too much important things to cover. But I don't have the time. So I'm going to split this message. And everybody said, Amen. (laughs) See? 
Can I leave you something to think about? This is not an invitation. Next week, I'm going to fly through these things and we're going to finish, Lord willing. That's the Lord's will. I think it will be. I'll say this again next week. I want you to catch this. There are 46,000, listen, 46,000 Southern Baptist churches. Don't say a number out loud, but think within yourself. 46,000 Southern Baptist churches. That's not other Baptist churches. It's not the free will. It's not the independents. It's not all of that. 46,000 Southern Baptist churches spread all across America, and they don't all have to be in the South. Southern Baptist churches is something we have a common belief and we have a commonality where we're trying to evangelize and be missionary, mission-minded and do missions together. Watch this. 46,000 Southern Baptist churches. Here's my question. I'm going to leave it with you. Why are there only 3,562 foreign missionaries supported by 46,000 churches? Those of you really good at math or those of you wanting to grab your phone and run some numbers, I'll go ahead and do it for you. That's almost, watch, we would have to go find 13 churches in the area. Southern Baptist churches. 13 to find one family that has gone out as a foreign missionary. 13. To find one missionary. Can you think of 13 Southern Baptist churches in Saluda Baptist Association. The idea being if we were to take us and Mount Tabor and Centerville, right? And, and Pope Drive and Pleasant View and New Prospect and Concord and we come up with 13. Guess what? We got a family that's going across the ocean. They're going to go tell those people because if they never hear, they'll never have a chance to get saved. And if they don't get saved, they don't call out on the Lord. They will die and go to hell. We got one among 13. Maybe you can help me. I want Graceview to be a church that sends out missionaries. And I don't know the answer to this question. I've been here a year and a half. I don't know the answer to this. Maybe someone does. Who's the last family that we sent out? I'm not talking about Brian and Martha Connard. We're supporting them. But a church about a half a mile from here is sending them out. They, they, they came from there. Who's the last person from Graceview, Northside previously, that they're on the foreign field? Who is it? Apparently we've got to go to 13 to find one. Is God not calling? Is God not sending? Or are we not listening? Are preachers not preaching it? Are pastors not keeping it on the front burner? Is it our fault? Is God not calling and sending? Or is it the preachers? Or is it people not really listening? Or I hear you, but I'm not doing it. Heads bowed, eyes closed.